Our reading this morning is from 2 Corinthians, verses 19 to 22. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we try that again? I'll sit down and... Uh, <laughs> uh, and just wait for next time if you don't pay attention. So, uh, well, once again, welcome to chapel. It's great to have you here. This is the second last chapel, I believe, this year at Regent. Uh, it happens also to be my last, and it's Advent, and I've got 15 minutes. So it ought to be clear that at least two of these things will require a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> so we are at church uh, last Sunday, actually also my last sermon, and I forgot to turn the mic on as well, so there's a pattern here. But our worship team introduced a new song, and it goes like this. Faithful you are. Faithful forever. You will be faithful you are. All your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. And singing that song, these wonderful words that we just heard from Paul started to resonate. And uh, I thought, I think I know what I should talk on. Now, I'm pretty sure that I can't claim the kind of transparency and integrity that Paul does here, but I hope at least at one point we have something in common, and that is, uh, if you remember anything, I would trust and pray it's the fall apart here. The utter centrality of this guy, Jesus, in whom all the fullness of God dwelt bodily, was in the form of God, meaning the physical manifestation of God himself upon the earth, the fullest and clearest expression of the faithful creator's God's good character. I'm having trouble getting through this. but I have a, a former student who I met with just recently, and he teaches at a self-proclaimed Catholic university and lamented to me the other day that the one thing that he can't bring into the classroom, the one thing, is his deep trust of and love for Jesus. And I just want to say, I have so much appreciated the freedom to be able to do that in this place. Where one can think hard, one can do the best one is able to do in that regard, but you can do that out of a deep love and passion for Jesus and you don't need to apologise. And I'm just so grateful. So to my colleagues... My boss, thank you, thank you. It's a rare privilege. 
That being said, the following admonition probably will not be new to those of you who know me. And I want to say there are many, many, many good things at Regent, and I really have learned so very, very much. Impossible, actually, to recount them all, I think. However, having said that, let me say again, it would be a terrible tragedy if when leaving Regent we find ourselves knowing so much about so many things, but not really knowing him. And that is a possibility, actually. It can happen. It's Jesus whom Paul preaches, not a theological idea, not a statement of faith, not a creed, not some other agenda, as well and as good as all those things might be, I'm not diminishing them, but they really only find their place when they're centered around the person of Jesus. And of course, if you know something about Paul's life, if you've taken, can I say, New Testament foundations with me, you would have walked through the Damascus Road experience of Paul and hopefully felt something of what totally transformed his life. In fact, the more I read of Paul, the more I read of the New Testament, the more I, I can't escape this utter, amazing centrality of Jesus. The person. The person. There is a reason we have four Gospels. And it's not just because one papyrus sheet couldn't contain everything that needs to be said about him. We have four because Jesus really is. He really is before all things. That includes all of my exegetical training, all of our elevated theological discussions happening in the atrium, sometimes including passing references to the Canucks, as the case might be. Right? <laughs> That includes all of our integration, all of our arts, all of our measured sagacities, our weighty wisdoms, and profound visages. Doesn't quite trip off the tongue, does it? <laughs> and yes, even those things so beloved by Regent, all of our struggles. <laughs> I have a little cue card down here. Right? <laughs> He alone, really, is the one in whom, as Paul reminds us, in whom all of God's promises, no matter what they concerned, no matter how many they might be, no matter to whom they were spoken, all of them are yes through him. So I have a simple question. Just a simple question. Do you love him? Do you love him? Is he the center of your affections? Is he the one to whom your heart turns? I don't mean in some kind of, and you've met it, those kind of self-righteous, pietistic ways that actually give off a very bad odor, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about that simple, deep, just you love him. And I want to ask that knowing full well that across the road is another educational institution. And I'm not saying anything about criticising them, but in the light of that, are we still willing to confess publicly that we love him? Without hesitation. I love that about Paul. The centrality of Jesus in his life and that great hymn, I will not boast in anything 
no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. This is the Jesus that Paul preached. Second thing I'd like to say, and I am watching the clock. This Jesus, this son of God that was preached, was not preached by some faceless team, an institution or a website. It was preached by three particular persons. And no, I'm not referencing the Trinity. (laughs) (laughs) I mean Paul, Silas and Timothy. Now, this might seem a small point to be glancingly passed over, but I think it matters, actually. I think it matters a great deal. Another former student, some of you might know him, Andrew Dwight. Don around somewhere, I think I saw him lurking, as Don does. This is Stephen's pointing somewhere. Ah, there, right, oh, your usual position. The Don, great, yep. <laughs> we have a saying in Australia, is Don, is good. You probably know that, okay? <laughs> um, but Andrew once said to me, we we're talking about teaching, and he said, you know, Rick, we teach who we are. And I think Paul would have said, I told you that already. Now, I really understand the dangers of the personality cult. It swirls around me all the time. (laughs) At least in my own own soap opera, let me try and get that one right, of which I am the author and the sole star. Let's leave that one. And even more so when it comes to Christian celebrities. Now, Katie and I were in the UK some years ago. Um, We were asked to, I was going to give a little talk at HTB, you know, one of the big alpha-type camps. We got picked up at the station by this young woman. She's very excited to help us because we were MCCs. Thinking, boy, what's that? Minor Christian celebrities. (laughs) 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 Somewhat of a deflationary experience. But that doesn't mean that the godly alternative to that kind of stuff is a faceless, unemotional, stoic, who talks about Jesus and the gospel as though he's reading the latest Canadian Marine forecast. That's not what we're doing. The godly alternative is fully personal, intellect and emotion, thought and passion. The critical difference, as we've just said, is that all of our identities are hid in him. So, Mr. Proven, Ian, my good and dear brother... One of the reasons students take your classes is because of you, who you are. Now, it's not just Ian, of course, but I picked on him because I know he loves this kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Deep inside, there's Snoopy doing the rites of spring dance, right? (laughs) And speaking in manifold tongues, In fact, I have to confess, um, some years ago, I cajoled a number of students, probably using undue kind of status or something, to yell out together in unison in Ian's class, Old Testament Foundations class, Ian, we love you, just to see the response. And uh, I believe there was a sheepish grin. (laughs) Now, you understand, don't you? He really does love to be loved. And so do I and so do you. And it really does matter. And we ought not be embarrassed about that. We should celebrate that. That should be one of the things that is the hallmark of our community here together. 
So a word to the wise, as you think of moving on from Regent, wherever it is you might find yourself, please, please, never treat people in a way that defiles the love that God has shed abroad in our hearts and demonstrated in the cross. What makes Regent is not, I think, primarily our course offerings, though they surely contribute. At its core, what makes us fundamentally who we are is not a what at all, but you would know a who. Regent is the people who teach who they are. And that teaching happens not just here, but at the front desk, with the staff behind the doors you might never see, the folks who serve you at the well, and of course, the bookstore, God bless you, Bill and Kim and all. All the time. In all of our daily interactions, Regent people are teaching who they are. Leading edge thinkers in the business world know about this. I recently heard of an overseas company that took this for granted. They're doing extremely well. They got a new leadership, a new strategic plan, but they missed this. And they slowly hemorrhaged their core of creative and inventive people. And now all that remains is a massive superstructure, a great reputation, but it's a charade and everybody knows it. Paul, I'm sure, knows this, hence his radical rewriting of that Hellenistic body politic metaphor. What makes us different are two things. Christ is the head and everything else is gift. Look around, you're looking at gifts. We're all gifts to one another. It's one of the great lessons that Regent has stamped on me. For those you can remember, Charles Ringmer was once brought in by Paul Stevens to come and visit us. Is here for a week. We had a faculty meeting. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Paul. And there was a decision. We have got to hire this guy. And someone said, but he can't teach any of the courses we have on offering. And a chorus of wise voices said, that doesn't matter. He's a regent person. Let's get him. And we let the gift tell us what courses we ought to be teaching. I hope I take that with me. That brings me to this kind of last observation. There's more we could say, of course, but um, and I'll probably sneak something in just at the end anyway. <clears throat> I think this is what Paul means when he says, Christ is the yes to all of God's promises, but it's the character of the lives of these three particular persons, named persons, individuals. It's their character. It's their transparency. It's their integrity that shouts the loud Amen to all that God has done. What they thought, these Corinthians, was a matter of vacillation on Paul's part. That's the yes, no thing. Saying one thing, doing something else. Maybe fickleness. Maybe not having enough kind of gumption to come back and confront them. All of which in their Hellenistic world demonstrated he really wasn't fit to be a leader, that he was a fraud. It turns out that actually all of that was the amen to what God had done in Christ. God has no issues. He's nothing to prove. He's got no insecurities. What he wants is to give us eternal life, that the Father and the Son, through the Spirit, may take up their abode in us. Paul has no interest in lording it over anyone. He simply wants to be a worker together with them for their joy. Well, how does that joy come about? And now I am at my last point. How can I, being Rick, 
finish this without talking about that third often alighted member of the Trinity, namely the Holy Spirit, without whom none of this would be possible or even thinkable. That's the great gift that Jesus has ushered in for us. It's the Spirit who anoints us, who seals us as his own, as God's own. He is the deposit and guarantee of the sure and certain life of the world to come. Now, Regent was one of the very first schools I know of to emphasize spiritual theology, and that was such an amazing thing. It's a real gift. I'm so grateful for all that I've learned in that area too. But I have to say, I'm a little concerned, folks, a little concerned, just a little, that in our environment with its heavy weighting on Ian McGilchrist channeling here, left brain precision articulation, that that place where deep speaks to deep can get marginalised. The kind of stuff that McGilchrist would call that pre-linguistic cognition that apparently happens way down here, right, that that can somehow get marginalised. And I would hope that never happens. Remain open to the spirit. No, that's not enough. If you are open to being married, you'd never get married. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't be open to the spirit. Pursue him. Pursue him. Jesus died that you might have that gift, the seal and the guarantee. And that's what enables them to be the amen. And that would be my final prayer. As I pray for all of you in my heart, that God would fill you abundantly and overwhelmingly with his Holy Spirit. Whatever you do, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. He gives good gifts. So now we're going to come to the table. So those who are serving, if you'd like to come on up. And, of course, what does the table celebrate? Well, it actually celebrates what we're anticipating in Advent. Right? It's to do with the coming of the Lord among us. So there is an Advent moment in here. You're going to stand way back there, are you? Okay. You want, you want to come a bit closer? Why don't you stand up the front here? And... <laughs> that would be very good. Why don't you do that? That's good. So people can see you here. And Excellent. Great. So while you're standing there... I'm going to step back. It's okay. It's, it's good to do this. This is called community. Do not be afraid. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, you can tell I'm very high church. Um, I'm working on it. <laughs> well, you know what the Lord had to say about this, don't you? For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then, in the same way, after supper, took the cup.
And it probably took him time to pour it too. That's okay. This is the cup, or this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, and it doesn't end there, until he comes. We do not wait in vain. So, do you need to explain how this is going to work? Everyone's got it? Great. Okay. If you'd like to play some music, we'll get started. Great. <laughs> Thank you.